0: We're continuing looking at the New Testament book of 1 John today. It is one of the letters written by the disciple John. Uh, And so we've been talking over the past few weeks and seeing that there was a group of people in the church that John was writing to that had broken away. They had broken away from the church And John here gives us the clearest discussion of that situation in the letter. It's something you have to piece together because we don't have uh, the news of the day from back then. And so judging from the letter, you have to see what's going on. And so John here tells us about this separation, this breaking away. And he's putting it in a very specific and serious context. That these people have broken away from the church Now, while that is a specific situation that happened more than 1,900 years ago, it is characteristic of something that the church will always face. It's the danger of being led away from the core principles of the faith, from what is most important. You see, this group didn't break away over a small matter of disagreement that the carpet was the wrong color or that they didn't get to do this or that someone hurt their feelings, they broke away because they had a different fundamental understanding of Jesus, who Jesus was, and why Jesus mattered. It was not merely a difference of opinion, it was a difference of the foundation of their belief, and it led to them breaking away. So if you would, you can open your Bibles, we'll be in 1 John chapter 2. The book of 1 John is near the very back of the Bible. 1 John chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 18 through 27. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. Hear the word of the Lord. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Let us pray. O Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak clearly to us and that you have preserved your word throughout the generations and have given it to us and that your word is powerful. It is not a mere book. It is not mere records from thousands of years ago. It is the very living word of God and it is empowered by your spirit. And so, spirit, I pray today that through me, in spite of my own weakness and sin, your word would go forth. Your word would go forth and shape us in our hearts and minds that we would love you, that we would know your truth, that we would live according to your truth, repenting of sin and living godly lives, trusting in Jesus, because it's in his name we pray, amen. So in this passage, John is warning his people against this danger, that there was this group that had broken away, and he is telling them, this is the danger. And it's very dangerous. And then he tells them a little bit about how to be protected from this danger. But really, it's hard to even talk about this passage clearly until we deal with the A word. Antichrist. You know, a lot of us might have just checked out right after that and be like, oh, geez, here we go. You know, it's going to get crazy today. You know, I intentionally tried not to wear a suit and slick hair back so I didn't look like a crazy guy talking about the Antichrist. Uh, may or may not work. But here he uses the word antichrist. John is the only one in the whole Bible that uses the word antichrist. He uses it again in 1 John chapter 4. And here is what he writes in verse 18. He's putting this danger into context. Here's what he says. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists have come. Therefore... We know it is the last hour. Now, the early Christians, including John, had an understanding that they were living in the last days or the last hour. And to us, living some 1,900 years later, we kind of look at them and be like, isn't that special? You know, isn't that cute that you guys thought that? Because a lot's happened since then. And yet, Christians still believe that. In fact, the whole age of the church, these some nearly 2,000 years that we've existed since Jesus came and rose again and ascended into heaven, we believe we've been living in the last days, that Jesus began the kingdom, it started, it broke into this world, and so now we're just waiting for him to come back, and he said he would come back soon. You know, I guess he was around for all eternity, so soon is a relative term, But he has promised to return. And so we live in these last days. That's what John is saying. It is the last days. And John is reminding them, do you not remember how Jesus told us that people would oppose the church during our time? that this period of the last days would involve false teachers and false prophets and people working against the church. We saw this in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 7 in verses 15 through 23, where Jesus was warning them, beware, false prophets will come like wolves in sheep's clothing. He also talked in Mark 13 about some great abomination that would come and sit in the temple, very similar to what we saw in our New Testament reading. Where Paul is also telling the Thessalonians that a man is coming, a man of lawlessness. So that's the term he uses instead of Antichrist, but we see them as the same person. Don't worry, there's only gonna be one really bad guy, apparently, is what they're saying. You have to worry about the man of lawlessness and the Antichrist. That would be a lot to worry about. John is telling his readers, we were to expect this. That's what Paul was saying to the Thessalonians. Guys, There's going to be trouble coming. It is not going to be easy. God said this would happen. But it's not just going to be one big bad guy at the end. There will be shadows and foretastes to come. That leading up to this big bad guy at the end, like at a video game boss battle, there will be these other little guys who are going to come and disrupt the church. And throughout the history of the church, different people have been viewed as little shadows and types of these people. And here John is saying this group that broke away from the church are like those shadows. And he calls them antichrists. That sounds really, really harsh. But what is an antichrist? You know, we're surrounded by certain horror movie cultures, and, you know, there's different genres. There's the monster movies, but there's also the demonic movies where it's, you know, there's different 666 things and all kinds of stuff. And you have these visions of the antichrist, whether it's a small child or whether it's some other horrible figure. And so we imagine someone with, like, a black mask and a cape and, you know, with magical spell powers and goofy henchmen, but it's not a cartoon. You know, it's not a comic book. Life is not a comic book. And so John is telling us here what an antichrist is. And he says so in verse 22. Here's what John writes. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. John says that an antichrist is someone who denies that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one who would come and save God's people. John does not say antichrists will come and perform witchcraft on your churches. He says they will come and say Jesus is not the Messiah. That they deny fundamental truths of Christianity. That they veer away from what is the core elements of the faith. So though these people had been part of the church, they had broken away. Broken away from what was most important to Christianity. And so they were anti-Christs in the sense that they were anti or against Jesus and who he was. They were anti Christianity. See, there's no hint in this passage anywhere that these people were guilty of murder, theft, adultery, or any things that we would think of as bad crimes, at least that we're told. What we are told is worse than that, that they abandoned the truth. Here's what he writes in verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. No one who denies the Son has the Father. What he's saying is that without the true Jesus, you cannot have a true relationship with God the Father. If you abandon the faith, then you by necessity have abandoned a relationship with God. That we need the truth to truly relate to God. And so the result of this is they broke away from the church. We see this in verse 19. This is the clearest explanation we're given of what happened in their culture, what happened that John is writing to address. Verse 19 says this, that they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. And so John is identifying these people that left the church as antichrists. And this is where we need to just time out, okay? Because sometimes we can hear this and go, well, that must mean that everyone who leaves the church is an antichrist. No, please no. We are not saying that. People leave churches for good reasons and bad reasons, and that doesn't make them the antichrist or an antichrist. People change congregations because they move fine people change congregations because they feel a stronger connection to a different congregation great go to church somewhere people even leave church because their feelings get hurt or something bad happens or they just want to get away from church drama that's less great but still okay you're not an antichrist for doing that you see you can leave a congregation and not have that problem But this group didn't leave a congregation. They left the church. They went from the true church to a church that was not a church. See, sometimes this happens in opposite ways as well. It happens this way in history, we've seen a few times. In the Protestant Reformation, people who held to the truth recognized the abuses in the Roman Catholic Church, how they had veered from the truth in the Middle Ages, and they said, we need to fix this. And when the Roman Catholic Church would not listen, they broke away to hold to the truth. It's not all that dissimilar from recent transitions we have made as a church in the past few years, leaving one denomination that abandoned core principles to hold fast to core principles in another group. So again, breaking away from a church does not necessarily make someone an antichrist. You can leave a church and be fine. But when you leave the church, there's a problem. See, this breakaway group didn't just leave, though. Leaving was only part of the problem. They actively sought to lead other people away from the church as well. We see this in verse 26. Here's what John writes. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Did you it's an active effort of deception. That they're not content to be like... I don't like your church anymore. I'm going over here. And then just leave them be. They left and then wanted to pull people away from the truth so that they could have those people believe the things about Jesus that they believed. So these antichrists do not just hold personally false beliefs about Jesus, but they actively spread those beliefs to convince others. And this is when we need to remember that these are not cartoon villains. Okay? The people who left the church were not wearing a top hat, a monocle, and twisting their mustache and thinking, please come over to my foreign church. These were people who had been part of the church, who had maybe sat next to them. People who they might have been friends with. People who they might st- still see around town. People who might have been really convincing when they explained their position. And it reminds us that false teachers are deceptive. And they work to subtly pull people away from the truth, little by little, until you don't even realize you're gone. That's the danger John is warning them against. It's a serious danger. He's calling them antichrists. And he wants them to not abandon the truth that he had given them. And so in, in light of this danger, you would expect John to try and protect them. You know, danger is coming, all right? Okay, so a tornado is coming. You go to your tornado drill and get under the safety of your school desk because that will save you. You know, If something is coming that is dangerous, you need to protect yourself from the danger. So how did John try to protect his people from danger? Well, instead of offering them seven principles for fighting false teaching, or here are three innovative ways to defend your faith... John says, I tell you nothing new. Verse 21, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. His readers didn't need to hear anything new because they already knew the truth. His readers knew the truth about Jesus because it was John who had been teaching them since the beginning. And so John is just telling them, stick with what you have heard From the beginning. We see this in verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. That key word in there is abide. And the NIV, another version, translates it remain. Both translations are very good and together they convey the idea of what Jesus is saying here. Or John is saying here. See, this word to abide or remain means to stick with or in something. It's the same word that Jesus used when he told his disciples to stay with him in the garden of Gethsemane. The night night he was betrayed, praying in the garden, he told his disciples, stay with me, abide, remain with me. It's the same word Jesus uses in John 15 where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, stay with me. Get your nutrients from me. Be in the vine. It's the same word they use when it means to stay in someone's house. Just stay there. Remain inside the house. So John is telling them, hey, just stick to it. You got the truth. Stay in the truth and stick with it. He wants them to abide in the truth because when you abide in the truth, it's the only way to abide in God. Verse 24 says this, it's that if then. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. See, the core truths about Jesus are what we must remain in because they are the very truths that explain how we relate to God. So to remain in a relationship with God, you must remain in the truth of how to relate to this God. You have to stay in the truth because that's how you stay in God. That is the true way to relate to God. And that truth is what we call the gospel. It's the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. It's why John tells them, I have nothing new to tell you. They already know what they need to know about Jesus. They know the gospel. They know who Jesus is and what he has done. We saw that with the kids down here. Lori was talking about how you know things. She was very, very clear in this, that it doesn't mean you, uh, that means you don't have to come to church anymore. But it's they remember these things. Where's heaven? Who's in heaven? How do we get to heaven? We die. Great answer. Real good answer. We die. Not not the most optimistic answer, but you know, it works. Our kids know the truth of the gospel. Our kids know who Jesus is and what he has done from an early age. it, It is something simple to teach. And John is telling them that abiding in the truth is really simple, actually. Because the truth doesn't change. You don't have to get like, oh, what's the updated version of the truth now? Oh, please tell me the new 21st century version of what truth is. It's the same truth. Yeah, it needs to be adapted in a way to be applied to our cultural context. You know, Jesus didn't tell us how to use iPhones. You know, so we might need a little bit of adaptation to understand how these truths apply to the culture. But the truth doesn't change. Because Jesus either is the Son of God or He's not. He's either the Messiah or he's not. That, that can't change. His death either forgives our sins or it doesn't. He either rose from the dead or he didn't. He either saves us by grace or he doesn't. That abiding in the truth, at least in principle, is, it's really easy because it stays the same. But abiding in the truth is really hard because we have to weather the storms of false teaching that what we heard from Scripture is that throughout these last days, teachers will come and try to lead us from the truth, try to push us off from the truth, try to lure us away from the truth, try to get us to just take one step to the side and hoping that builds momentum to get us going further. And we can understand this because sometimes we get antsy, a lot of us get antsy. We've been doing this thing, you know, the same thing for so long. And it kind of gets to the point where you're like, why don't we try to do something new? Maybe we need a new hairstyle. Or we just need to freshen up this room a little bit. Or we need just new shoes. We just need something new. And we can get antsy with the old. And so sometimes we just see the gospel as old and we're like, well, let's. I'm just going to set it down. I'm not going to throw it away. I'm just going to set it down, and I'm going to pick up something new and just give it a try and just see. And it seems like that's what this breakaway group did a little bit. That the word anointing is used here. And it seems that this breakaway group focused on some kind of altar anointing, probably their baptism. And so that in their baptism, they felt... That they became like Jesus. And that they could relate to God like Jesus instead of through Jesus. That they could relate to God like Jesus instead of through Jesus. That somehow at their baptism they were anointed and became holy and different. And now that gave them the relationship with God. Now baptism's a big deal. But baptism doesn't do that. Jesus does that. And yet we can look at them and think they're a little silly, but we can fall into the same kinds of traps. We can make the mistake of thinking maybe Jesus is less important now than he was before. And maybe we'll just focus on some of these newer, different things instead of just Jesus alone. After all, we're getting a little antsy. And so maybe we move from Jesus to Christian disciplines. And we really focus on our prayer life and our Bible reading, and maybe we're even fasting. We're that focused. And we start to think that we relate to God based on our Christian disciplines instead of on Jesus. And so when we're doing well, we feel really proud and holy and good. But when we miss a day or two or 25... We despair and we lose all hope. We try this new thing, thinking it's going to be better, when really we're supposed to hold fast and abide in Jesus. We can't move on from Jesus. Maybe it's not Christian disciplines. Maybe we move on from focusing so much on Jesus, and now we just want to love other people. We just want to focus on the law of love, and we want to do justice for other people and seek justice and causes in our community. That's a good thing, just like spiritual disciplines are a good thing. But if we base our relationship to God based on how well we love others and do justice in the world, that's a problem. That's moving away from relating to God through Jesus. We must continue abiding in Jesus while doing those things. But maybe we're not such big into disciplines and we're not so big into going out maybe we just want big brains and so maybe we move on from jesus to deeper theological matters and we read more in-depth theological books discussing theological topics like our sunday school class on church history that's me sorry and we can trick ourselves into believing that we know more about god But knowing more about God is not the same as knowing God better. There's a difference. That we are to know God through Jesus. And yes, we can learn these things. We can love others. We can pray and read the Bible. But that's not how we relate to God primarily. It is through our salvation in Jesus Christ. Our standing is based on Jesus and not what we do. And so instead of an outer anointing, a holiness that is our own, John tells us we have another anointing, an inner anointing. He says it in verse 27, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you. In verse 20 he says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, that this anointing is the Holy Spirit who abides in believers so that we can abide in Jesus. See, the Spirit is in us so that we remain in Jesus. The Spirit never leads us away from Jesus. The Spirit provides a constant link to Jesus. That we don't move from Jesus to the Spirit, the Spirit rather reinforces our need of the gospel. The Spirit doesn't come and teach us new things different from the Bible. The Spirit comes and assures us of the truth of the Bible. The Spirit confirms the word of God to us helping us to fight off false teaching. And so this is why John is saying, you have no need for anyone to teach you. feels really weird to have that verse read after we do that Sunday school teacher appreciation. Like, you have no need for anyone to teach you. Please, don't stop teaching. Okay, We need teachers. But what he's saying here is you don't need any new teaching. That you have the word of God. You know the truth. And you have the Spirit who assures you of the truth and confirms the truth. What more do you need to fight off false teachers? What more do you need to abide in the truth than knowing the truth and having the power in you that confirms that truth? And so John is reminding us here in this passage that we never move on from the basic principles of Christianity. But we abide in them. We remain in them. We abide in the gospel because it teaches us how we are saved and why we obey God. That we are saved in Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life that we were called to live. And yet he died the death that we deserve for our sins. And so we are given his perfect obedience and we put our sins on him. And that he rose again from the dead to give us the hope of eternal life with God. And so now, having been saved, we obey because we love the God who first loved us. And we want to live like our father. See, the gospel reminds us that we are acceptable not because we are holy in ourselves, not because we have anointed ourselves somehow. We are acceptable in the anointed one, in Jesus, the Messiah, that our Holy Spirit comes because of the true anointed one, Jesus, our King. And the Spirit testifies to us, that we are anointed in a way, that we are adopted, that we can be called sons and daughters like Jesus is called son. And so our anointing calls us to remain in Jesus, to remain with him, our Lord and Savior. So as we grow as Christians, as we mature as Christians, we don't move beyond Jesus. We don't move beyond the basic principles, but we dig deeper in. We hold tighter in. We abide in such a way that we love the abode that we are abiding in because in there is the depths of love and the depths of Jesus Christ. Christian maturity is not becoming independent from God and our salvation in Jesus, it's depending on Him more. So, Christians, we must abide in the truth. We must abide in the truth that Jesus is our Savior. We must recognize false teaching when we see it and repent of the ways that we have been led astray. And we must hold fast to the truth about Jesus, knowing that nothing anyone can teach us will ever pull us away from Jesus, that we will always need the gospel of grace until he comes again, hopefully soon, or until we die and we are with him in heaven, that we hold fast to the Jesus that will take us there. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for John writing to warn us of false teachers, and we pray that you would help us to hold fast to the truth, that all teachers would be held accountable to the truth, myself included, and that we must know the truth and abide in it. Fill us with your spirit to confirm the truth to us that we would know it and that we would hunger for your word and love Jesus who has saved us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.